You know, surfer's not even my job. I know. And it is not lifeguard, which is a common misconception. Very common. Yeah, because actually my job, it's just beach. And my job is just podcast. Dr. Alex Swan, and in this episode of the podcast, we are going to explore the wonderful plastic world of Barbie. Yes, the 2023 mega hit that came out the same day as Oppenheimer. If you're a faithful listener of this show, we did Barbenheimer. We did Oppenheimer uh, a few episodes ago, so go check that one out. If you were one of those faithful who did the Barbenheimer activity where you went and you sat through lots of hours, a couple, five hours-ish of movie to see both films in a single day, that's a, that was a lot. That was a lot. And uh, kudos to anyone who went and did that. I did not do that. I saw Oppenheimer opening weekend. No, I didn't see Oppenheimer opening weekend. I take that back. I saw Oppenheimer a, about two weeks after it came out. And then we went and saw as a family Barbie, maybe a, a couple of weekends after that. But I have seen both films and our guest has seen it, I think, more than once. But in any case, we are going to explore all that we can there is so much we'll probably miss talking about all of the things that are found in this like two not even two hour movie i don't think it went yeah it was less than two hours but so much stuff is crammed in the two hours and we're gonna explore barbie we're gonna explore ken we're going to talk about the real world people and all of the psychology about all of them. And I got to say, this was a fun one to watch, and I think it will be a fun one to to talk about. Uh, now, if you're not familiar with the details surrounding Barbie, where have you been? But in any case, uh, it is a movie that was written by Greta Gerwig and her partner, Noah Baumbach, and directed uh, by Greta Gerwig herself. And it stars Margot Robbie as Stereotypical Barbie, Ryan Gosling as Beach Ken, or just Ken, really. But, you know, the main Ken, we'll say. Issa Rae, Kate McKinnon, Alexandra Shipp, Emma Mackey. Hari Neff, Sharon Rooney, Anna Cruz Kane, Rita Arya, Dua Lipa, Nicole Coughlin, all play Barbies. Among, among other 
such amazing Barbies that are in there. Simu Lu or Liu, Ken Kingsley Benadir, uh, Nkudi Gathwa, Scott Evans, John Cena, all play Kens. And then you've got, of course, Alan, played by Michael Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Emerald Fennel playing Midge. Uh, so a lovely bunch of actors, a lovely bunch of actors. Of course, most of them are uh, Barbies or Kens, like I said, as you, as you found out. But a, a lot of other amazing people are in this movie. Rhea Perlman has an amazing uh, go at the Barbie creator, Ruth. Helen Mirren is the narrator and is a lovely narrator at that. Will Ferrell plays the Mattel CEO. America Ferrera plays Gloria. And Ariana Greenblatt, who's had like an amazing last few years. She was just recently in Ahsoka playing young Ahsoka. Ariana Greenblatt plays the young girl uh, Sasha that um, has a change of heart uh, about Barbie. So Sasha and Gloria, two women in from the real world. Of course, the Mattel executives are, are also uh, from the real, real world, but Barbies and Kens and Mid Midge and Alan are from Barbie land. And so we have so much fun. There is just so much in this movie to talk about from a psychological perspective. And I can't wait to get in, uh, get into all of it, or at least a good portion of it with our guest host. So without further ado, let's jump right in. My guest host today is Dr. Molly Metz. Molly joins the show again after her other episodes on Inside Out way at the beginning of the, the podcast years. And, but I'm a cheerleader, which, interestingly enough, I suggested to one of my classes just on Monday. So you should definitely check out those episodes that Molly was in. For those of you who are joining us, uh, and this is your first Molly episode. Uh, Molly is an associate professor in the teaching stream at the University of Toronto. Her teaching is focused on statistics, research methods, close relationships, and emotion. Welcome back to the show, Molly. Thanks, Alex. It's always fun to nerd out, especially on stuff that I love and care about, which, of course, is pop culture nostalgia, but also all the gender and relationships and social things that we can talk about. Absolutely. Yeah, this was a good one. Um, and I immediately thought of you when we thought of uh, when when we saw this movie. So I'm <laughs> definitely also happy that you are back on. And how has your year been since we are recording this in November of 2023 how has the last 10 months been it's been a 10 months um indeed i you mentioned in my intro that i'm associate professor teaching stream that was official as of july 1st so last Excellent. academic year was the you know submitting my dossier and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and waiting for an evaluation <laughs> um and so my promotion and continuing status was official as of July 1st of congratulations this year. Um, and my sub thank you and my sabbatical is also official as of July 1st of this year so i am currently on sabbatical um it's a full mm, year wow. of no teaching requirements <laughs> which is just wild 
it is uh, wild. It first still doesn't totally feel real. Since grad school, right? First break from teaching since grad school? I mean, first break of teaching in teaching since grad school, but also yeah. like first break from school. I never took any gap years. Oh, So wow. this is my first year, like not in school in like 33 years or so. Okay. Okay. So it so far so good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some people, you know, take their gap years after college. Um, some people take them, you know, after high school. Uh, you've decided to take your gap year um, in the middle of your career, and I love it. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so and tired. you still have many more months left. Uh, a bit uh, a bit envious, I, I'll have to say. So let's, uh, because we have a lot to talk about in this episode, so we are going to jump right into it. And Barbie. Barbie, brainchild of Greta Gerwig and, of course, Noah Baumbach. Um, so I, I want to know what your initial thoughts are on the film, what you liked, what you didn't like before we get into the psych fun of it, uh, because I think a, a strategy that I have going into some of these newer films is like not a lot of people have seen them. And so when we we talk about them and we dissect them, it's not the same. I shouldn't say dissect, analyze. Uh, it's not the same as like a 20-year-old film or a 30-year-old film that people have had a lot of time to watch and digest. So from a, as you said, a pop culture and nostalgia lover, what did you think of the movie? I mean, I loved it. And when you texted me asking me to do this episode on this movie with you, I was thrilled. Um, and I'm <laughs> thrilled that I was the one who came to mind that says I'm doing something right. Uh, <laughs> right. And I just want to like lay the scene for you. So, well, my spouse and I saw the movie the night, like opening night Eve. It opened in the U.S. on a Friday and we saw it mm -hmm. on Thursday night mm -hmm. um, at the Little Theater in Rochester, New York. So a small independent theater that is like really a community hub. And they had a Barbenheimer opening weekend with decorations nice. and with talks and events and swag. And so like walking into it, it wasn't just any old movie in the theater. It was a real event. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. And... So it was just a, a setting that was really great. Um, and I think just heightened how much we enjoyed the film, although we watched it and loved it just as much on our couch. So I don't think it was just the the vibes uh, that led me to love the movie. Sure. Um, I, I will say that I am absolutely 1000% smack dab in the middle of their target audience. Um, mm -hmm. Millennial women. Right, right, uh, I think right. is probably <laughs> at least generally uh, who the target audience is going or mm -hmm. who they were targeting. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, and I played with Barbie. Um, I, too, have existential dread <laughs> and wondering what is life even. <laughs> Do you guys ever think about dying? But I also like I was a women's studies minor, uh, along with my psychology major in undergrad, like mm -hmm. thinking about gender and relationships and femininity and masculinity. Like these are things that I have always thought about and cared about deeply. And so, um, you know, as I said, before we got on the recording, Barbie is, as they would say, a rich text. There's a lot to talk about and to love here. 
Yeah. Anything you you didn't like about the movie, though? I know you are you are the target demo, of course, and they want they want a hundred percent Rotten Tomato score from you. But there's sometimes a but. Oh, so I mean, yes, and I'm happy to elaborate on this more later because I know that okay. this is now getting into territory of analysis and critique of the film overall. Sure, there I think at kind of a broader cultural level, there were some people who were like, "Oh my God, Barbie." is going too far it's too man-hating it's too woke it's too extreme whatever and mm-hmm. then there were some people who were like are you kidding me they had this ridiculously high budget and all they could do was imagine a world where women in char- were in charge instead of men like couldn't they have been more creative more innovative like you could totally reimagine a world and that's what we end up with um and i think that there's something to that mm-hmm. um i i there are some things that made it in or stayed in that just still didn't quite sit right to me like at the toward the end when you know barbie's talking about being you know worried about ken and she says um something like you know i feel really bad i hurt his feelings or Mm -hmm. he was really mad at me Mm -hmm. and i think it was gloria who said no he likes you like what middle school crap is that that yeah when you like someone you like get mad at them and take it out on them right and like that was one of those things that like was in there and just went uncritiqued that wasn't a line asking for critique that was just what it was and there were a few things like that thrown in where i was like we did so much good work here (laughs) Um, yeah and that just felt a little bit unfinished i i understand uh i wonder um i was just curious curious at that uh point that you bring up i wonder how much a back and forth uh greta gerwig and noah Baumbach had on on like that part of the script or other parts that kind of just like are thrown out and then just die a little bit in the in the <laughs> screenplay and i wonder how much back and forth um who was who wanted what and how did they want to say it that that would have been an interesting um an interesting conversation to be a fly on the wall for. For sure. Although, I mean, obviously I have no idea. I'm totally speculating here. But <laughs> I imagine that there is more tension between like the Growing Bombback team and the studio. Ah, yeah, that's true. Than there yeah. would be between yeah. them, right? I yeah. anticipate that they <laughs> I don't know. I just the way I think of it is that they were a team on this. Um, right. And if I'm not mistaken, they're partners in real life. As Correct. Well, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that, you know, like, for example, they never explicitly called it like a feminist movie. Right. Right. They, exactly. They, the, and by they, I mean, like Mattel, <laughs> like the, the studio, not the directorial team, because um, I think that that would have been a kiss of death that might have kept sure. it from being a billion dollar plus movie. Right. Um, so that's where I imagine some of the tension lies. Ken isn't something we're worried about ever. Okay, I'll just, um, I'll get in the box then. All right, yes. Oh, but since I came all this way, could I just meet the woman in charge, your CEO? Oh, that would be me. Oh, your CFO. Me? Your COO, Here. president of the Barbie division. President. I'm a man with no power. Does that make me a woman? Are any women in charge? 
Listen, I know exactly where you're going with this, and I have to say, I really resent it. We are a company literally made of women. We had a woman CEO in the 90s, and there was another one at some other time. So that's, that's two right there. Women are the freaking foundation of this very long phallic building. We have gender-neutral bathrooms up the wazoo. Every single one of these men love women. I'm the son of a mother. I'm the mother of a son. I'm, I'm the nephew of a woman aunt. Some of my best friends are Jewish. What I'm trying to say is, get in the box, you Jezebel! <laughs> What, I can't say Jezebel now? I haven't been in a box in ages. See? It's easy. Oh, okay. Huh. Oh my gosh, I remember this smell. I'm having real Proustian flashback. Remember Proust, Barbie? That did not sell very well. <laughs> Um, before I get in the box, could I just run to the restroom and make sure my hair is perfect? Fine. Can you be speedy about it? Mm-hmm. Down this way? It's just down the hallway. Thank you. On the right. Okay, so in, in this segment, um, we have to obviously address the biggest uh, psychological concept that we see in this movie, which is gender. Just that, just that word, gender. We're going to uh, dive in deep into different ways in which this movie talks to us about gender gender identity gender roles the relationships between genders and and there is so much in this movie so uh molly would you get us started with like a brief overview of the kinds of gender uh, ideas and concepts that we see in this movie, and then maybe we can start picking apart at various um, smaller aspects, especially the ones that you identified that I am not familiar with at all. So uh, I'm going to let you take the reins on on uh, just giving the audience an overview of, of gender that is seen in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one thing I want to start with by saying is that while this movie has a lot to say and show about gender, it is um, really focused on femininity and masculinity specifically. And I want to distinguish that from men and women. Yes. So although, of course, Please. femininity is modally or prototypically associated with women and masculinity mm -hmm. with men. And in the movie, we see especially like Barbies and Kens as kind of the two camps or the two teams um, who go back and forth and who has what kind of power in Barbie land. I think that what the script and some of the situations, like what they have to say to us are about femininity and masculinity more generally rather than the sex of the person holding on to them. Um, mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to be super clear about that, that um, this is not a world, at least Barbie land, as far as we know, is not a world with transness or with non-binary or gender fluid people, dolls. Yes, um, that's a good point. But I don't think that that means that it doesn't have some really interesting things to say about gender. And we don't see all of Barbie land. So we only have a snapshot of it, too. Right. 
So who knows? Um, but I just wanted to lay that out. So That's good. Thank you. I think one of the kind of interesting and exciting things about what Barbie has to say about gender is not even in the like relative positions of the Barbies and the Kens, um, but in what it means to be feminine or to be masculine itself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, in my notes, I, I labeled this section, you know, to doing gender. And that really yeah. comes from kind of a gender uh, theory, queer theory perspective that acknowledges the inherently performative nature of gender um, Absolutely. and yeah. the importance of the the roles and the costumes and the norms. And so I think that, you know, when we think about Barbies who you can put in these situations and literally dress up or make up or do their hair, um, mm-hmm. you are doing gender, right? And I think that that's one of the important things about the, the toy Barbies and Kens yeah. is the opportunity to perform lots of different roles. Uh, And so, you know, we can talk about what femininity even is um, and what Barbie land tells it it is and tells us it is, and maybe even more importantly, tells us it could be in this kind of fantasy, non-real world world. Uh, Um, But it also has a lot to say about what masculinity is and is not. Um, and I think that there's some interesting notes about queerness uh, happening in here as well. Mm-hmm. And all of that is before we even get to the relationships between the Barbies and the Kens mm-hmm. in Barbie land, men and women in the real world, and um, the structural relationships between genders in each of these kind of realities. Yeah, so that, that was a great overview. Thank you. And so I'm going to go back to the this gender ex- expression and identity, um, as you say, doing gender. Um, and for for the audience who may not be familiar with some of the really good work in this in this realm, what are some of the ways that femininity? We'll do femininity first, and then we'll take up masculinity. Femininity is both. Uh, shown to the audience uh, in the form of Barbies, but then also subverted in some ways as far as like traditional femininity or traditional uh, feminine expression is done. So a little bit of humor in the subversion of stereotypes or tropes, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the first thing I want to note is that there's a lot of really incredible academic work being done in this field, focusing on femininity as something worthy of study and critique and recognition in its own right, not just as a contrast to masculinity. So this is now kind of looking in the like, humanities slash sociological and like the overlap between psych and social worlds here. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, critical masculinities has been a field for a while. There are a number of journals that focus on studies of masculinities. And it's only in the last 10 years or so that critical femininity studies as a field has really been just growing hugely. Wow. Um, and so a lot of the things that I noticed come from my learning and awareness in this new realm as well. Um, and so all that to say, I think one of the most layered and provocative and rich things to really think about related to Barbie is how 
highly feminine or hyper feminine Barbies are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know about you, but again, as a kid of the 90s, like in the real world, who's, you know, grew up when our parents and other grownups are kind of the products of second wave feminism. Mm -hmm. um, they're like the hyper femininity or the highly feminine was something to disparage, right? That was something you had, you were supposed to distance yourself from in order to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. um, right. Not liking girly things, pink yep. things, sparkly things yep. um, in order to be, you know, the girl or the woman who has it all. But what's beautiful about Barbie is how hyper feminine she is um, in her, you know, world of pink and mm -hmm. sparkle and how in this movie that is presented unapologetically without sacrificing incredible intelligence and competence. Right. Yeah. She's very smart. The comment about not controlling commerce or railroads when called a fascist. Oh my God, I died. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you don't make that connection unless you know what fascism is. Right. And so like, that's funny for a couple reasons, right? It's funny because Barbie's a doll. And what does Barbie know about fascism? Yeah. Especially having come from Barbie land, right? Because mm -hmm. ostensibly, this is her first interaction with the real world. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the humor in the movie does kind of come from this tension between this hyper femininity and beauty and sensuality and intelligence and competence and the ways in which we often uh, see these things in contrast to each other, especially in women. Yeah. Um, right. Warmth and competence as core dimensions of person perception. Um, yep. You know, research shows that on average, like men can display them both, whereas women tend to need to sacrifice one for the other. You mm -hmm. can either be highly warm or highly competent, but not both. And so when we see like a full Barbie Supreme Court <laughs> or a Barbie president yep. or, you know, the uh, one of my favorite parts that I just like legit teared up at was all the Nobel winners right at the beginning when they're talking about all yeah. the incredible accomplishments of the Barbies and all of the Nobel winners say, I worked hard. I deserve this. None of them mm -hmm. said, thank you so much. I can't believe it. You know, I'm so lucky. It's really thanks to you. There's none of that like downplaying of their own very real labor and effort. And that is just like so contrary to the way we expect femininity to play out. Right. Um, yeah. And so, so like I said, like there's some of this that is about, you know, Barbie's a doll, <laughs> but also that she's hyper feminine, hyper beautiful, and also hyper competent. And that is just a beautiful combination. I thought it was amazing to blend those two things together in a way that allows the the audience to come along for the ride because they probably know women just like this. And so, as you said, it's not one or the other warmth or competence. It, it can be all and it can be both. And it doesn't necessarily try to smack you over the head with it. But at the same time, there is instant uh, instance after instance, especially in the uh, when once we get to Barbie land, right after the sort of prologue with uh, <laughs> Helen Mirren talking about the 
birth of Barbie and everything like that and <laughs> changing the way girls do it. Very great, uh, amazing homage to uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Since the beginning of time, since the first little girl ever existed, there have been dolls. But the dolls were always and forever baby dolls. The girls who played with them could only ever play at being mothers, which can be fun, at least for a while anyway. Ask your mother. This continued until... changed everything. Then she changed it all again. All of these women are Barbie, and Barbie is all of these women. She might have started out as just a lady in a bathing suit, but she became so much more. She has her own money, her own house, her own car, her own career. Because Barbie can be anything, women can be anything. And this has been reflected back onto the little girls of today in the real world. Girls can grow into women who can achieve everything and anything they set their mind to. Thanks to Barbie, all problems of feminism and equal rights have been solved. At least that's what the Barbies think. After all, they're living in Barbie land. Who am I to burst their bubble? And here is one of those Barbies now, living her best day every day. I think if you're an audience member who come who's coming in with an open mind, uh, regardless if you are target demo, as you say, Molly, or, or not, <laughs> um, I think that intro and then just the world building, as you say, setting up these characters and who they are, even if they only have a few lines and, you know, the other Barbies other than Margot Robbie's Barbie. Um, it, 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 it brings you along instead of like wagging a finger at you. Like this is, yeah. this is can be right. This is what it should be. This is what it ought to be. Uh, and so it's sort of like a, a, a gentle, warm, warm hug. And it's the first thing that we are exposed to in the movie, as opposed to the, um, the conflict of the film, right? Which is, uh, Ken, you know, figuring out what the real world is like and how it's different. It's like different. It's flipped on its head, which I think is a good segue yeah. for talking about masculinity now. So what are the ways in which masculinity is shown in this movie? So the way that Ken is portrayed and thus masculinity is really interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of, again, with like the critique and the pushback about Barbie being man hating. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously we know my bias coming into this, um, <laughs> but I, I didn't see it that way. It definitely, 
you know, this film is definitely critical of the patriarchy, mm-hmm. but it also shows all the ways in which Ken suffered too. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is, you know, even in Barbie land, where everything is beautiful and idealistic, the Kens are hyper competitive, right? And so mm-hmm. it's making this comment that like this hyper competition between the Kens of like who gets the attention, who gets the the Barbie's gaze is um, you know necessary. Like is is competition core to masculinity? Um, I don't think it has to be, but that's definitely I think what that is that part of the movie's touching on. Yeah, and, and, and uh, to interject, um, yeah, I, I think the interesting thing about the over the the hyper competition as you say there's there's so many barbies to go around right if you're (laughs) if you're if you're talking about um you know pairs or mates or um any kind of coupling or partnering um in a in a heteronormative sense then there's there's a ken to a barbie um, so what are they, what are they competing for is, is, uh, an interesting question. No. And that was another thing that I don't know, not that I didn't like it, but I think could bear, uh, attention about the movie is that, you know, there were many Barbies mm-hmm. and many different roles and they did a moderate job with, um, racial and ability and size representation although Mm -hmm. i might say it veers more toward tokenizing rather than representing just because there were so few but whatever but like stereotypical barbie was still the barbie and yeah i get it from a filmmaking perspective like the the one who is the prototype of this toy in the real world makes sense for her to be the protagonist uh, of the film but she also seems to be the protagonist of Barbie land, which I didn't think was strictly necessary. Yeah. That everyone's attention is on her. She's at yeah. the front of the dance. Um, and Definitely that, that agree. didn't seem strictly necessary. Hard agree. Yeah. Get Midge in there. <laughs> God, I love Midge. <laughs> Midge might need a, another Barbie or Ken to help her with this, uh, you know, impending birth. <laughs> she needs help. Well, so. and that's another thing I loved about um, the Barbies in Barbie Land is that they are so communal and like collaborative. Oh, yeah, and it was like a cooperative. good in there. Yeah, Ex- exactly. Right? Like, I mean, they didn't all need their own houses, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but they all talk and they play and they're friends and every night is a girl's night mm-hmm. that there is just this like spirit of community in the barbie so all right enough about barbie back to ken okay gosh always (laughs) talking about barbies when is it gonna be ken off i'm right Uh, geez all right speaking of ken and ken off toxic masculinity (laughs) so as you say the kens are are hyper competitive and we have seen in our real life culture um a Hey, I guess a more awareness. I, I think I just want to call it awareness. I don't know if there's anything further to say about that, but uh, an awareness of toxic masculinity and how 
it rears its head in this movie. So we have Ken's being hyper competitive. Are there any other instances of toxic masculinity that you spotted? I mean, honestly, in Barbie land before they went to the real world and came back, there was not a ton that stood out to me. Mm -hmm. The competition um, between the Kens, especially for stereotypical Barbie's attention, seemed to really stand out. I think the more rich commentary on masculinity and some of the downsides of particular types of masculinity really comes once we get to the real world and bring some of that uh, energy back to Barbie land. Right. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm, Ken goes to the real world and he sees himself represented everywhere. He's on the money. He's on TV. He's getting respect Mm -hmm. from strangers on the street. He's like, Oh my God, this is incredible. I want this all the time. Which like sounds exciting and empowering. And then he sees a very, a very timely um just flashing of all of the the man imagery in that one building. <laughs> that was that so was so much great. man energy. Yeah, so yes. much, so much man energy. Um, Molly, I have a question for you. Um, have you seen The Godfather? Yeah, a, I have not. Oh my god. Oh, okay. All right. We're going to have to we're going to have to fix this. All right. Uh podcast over. <laughs> we're going to have to go fix this. You're going to have to watch it with me from a distance for, you know, the 3-hour length of that movie so you understand what true cinema is, okay? Does that sound good? I'm gonna, not going to take no for an answer. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I w- I got to say that um as a movie nerd, <laughs> as a movie nerd and also as a man, I found that bit, the whole bit about the Godfather to be <laughs> the most amazing bit ever. Because I am, uh, if I am nothing, I am at least going to make fun of myself. So I love that bit. Um, and by far the most, I guess, in joke for... Um, just men everywhere, but uh, and and they're they're maybe their female partners, but um, yeah, that was that was my favorite bit of uh, I mean, manness brought back to <laughs> Barbie land because they don't they don't understand it, right? These Kens don't really yeah, understand yeah. it. Um, and it, the Godfather is not just uh, a mafia movie where people get killed, like, there's there's stuff to it. But they don't understand it. They're just like, oh, The Godfather. You haven't seen it? You got to come and watch it. You know, I'm surprised that Ken liked it that much with what they do to the horse. (laughs) That's a good point. That is a great point, considering that that's the other thing they brought back. It's just cowboys. (laughs) A love for horses. Well, and just to, to interject here, like to get a little bit meta, I have not seen Godfather, but I live in this culture um, mm-hmm. and I also consume a lot of like pop culture critique and criticism. And that's like the kind of podcasts I listen to, like critical yeah. popular culture type stuff. And so I know enough about the Godfather to understand the joke. Yeah. 
Like I, I got the references. And that also is kind of the way thing work, things work in our culture. Like man references are general culture references. Yes, that's a good that's a great point. Right. Whereas um, women references are like, oh, no, you, you don't you're not going to understand niche. it. It's a subgroup. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's so uh, I know enough to understand the Godfather, <laughs> the Star Wars, the Indiana Jones references that pervade our popular culture. So, but you did watch I'm some good. of the uh, some of the Indiana Jones. You fell asleep to some of it, though. <laughs> so you know, you get you saw enough to get it. I did. Yeah. yeah. And so on the other side of toxic masculinity and and the uh the broiness of it all um there is <laughs> another idea called precarious manhood explain uh what you mean by this yeah so toxic masculinity is an idea that i think is like kind of pervaded into the general culture right it comes mm -hmm. from research land but yeah it gets thrown around on tiktok a lot and you know, just to be clear for anyone who doesn't know, that doesn't mean all masculinity is toxic. It means there is a specific type of masculinity that can be really toxic. And that Good is point. the type of masculinity right. that encourages competition and violence and isolation and denies men their emotions and, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, keeps them from forming meaningful relationships, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not saying masculinity is toxic. I'm saying there is a specific type that can be toxic. So yeah. just to get that out of the way. Right. Precarious manhood theory is another model of masculinity that I have always found really interesting and useful. Um, it comes from um, Boston and Vandello. And just a plug, Jen Boston's uh, gender textbook was always my favorite to teach from when I still taught uh, psychology of sex and gender. I hope she hears this. Um, <laughs> so precarious manhood theory basically posits that unlike womanhood, um, masculinity is tenuous, mm -hmm. meaning it must be earned and constantly proven because at the slightest uh, misstep, you can lose your man card, basically. So femininity or womanness is something that is inborn um, and like women can't get rid of even if they want it. Um, but masculinity is something that needs to constantly be proven. Mm -hmm. and earned and so men do this in their displays of masculinity both toward potential partners as well mm -hmm. as toward each other right mm -hmm. so it's both the intra and intersexual competition right yeah um and so this is you know a way that we can understand why like masculinity threats can be so threatening and mm -hmm. masculinity praises um, are so powerful for men that, you know, if someone is, you know, feeling insecure or unsure, uh, 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 affirming their masculinity is a way to make them feel better, make them feel more stable. Yeah, uh, when when Ken when Ken hurts himself on the plastic waves and flips around in the air just the same way that we would flip around our Barbies um, uh, when we were younger <laughs> <laughs> um, and he uh, quote unquote hurts himself and he explains to the three Barbies around that uh, around him that um, his job is just beach. 
And I forget who's I forget which Barbie says it, but uh, I think maybe it was stereotypical Barbie. Margot Robbie says, and what a great job you did uh, is mm-hmm. kind of like what you're saying there with like, here's the here's a here's the the uh, pat on the back. Oh, God, yes. Well, and that's such a good example of both sides of it. Right. That. He just wiped out in front of the person, the 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 Barbie he was trying to impress. And that oh, yeah. was like mm-hmm. more harmful to him. That was that scared him more than the physical injury that he went to the doctor for. Right. Yeah. Um, and but and what a good job you do. Right. And that was the reply. Um, I think that that is a perfect snapshot of. What was and his face, there. his face lights up. When she says that yeah. to him, he's like, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. OK, so before we uh, take a break, um, I wanted to. So one of the things that you had mentioned was that there was a, an implicitness to some queerness. So we talked about femininity and masculinity. But there were some, you know, little nuggets here and there of queerness. And I thought this was great and not something that I that had come across my mind, except for maybe the the beat you off line and uh, the back and forth. Oh, looks like this beach was a little too much beach for you, Ken. If I wasn't severely injured, I would beat you off right now, Ken. I'll beat you off with you any day, Ken. Hold my ice cream, Ken. All right, Ken, you're on. Let's beach off. Anyone who wants to beach him off has to beach me off first. I will beach both of you off at the same time. But you don't even know how to beach yourself off. How are you going to beach oh, both of us off? It doesn't make sense. Ken, you you're going to beach both of us off. Nobody's going to beach anyone off. Explain a little bit more yeah. about this uh, queerness in the film. Yeah, so I think that this is one of those things that unless you're in a particular corner of the internet, you might not have picked up on. But there's a lot of really interesting discourse and writing and thinking about the queerness in Barbie the toy, but also yeah. Barbie the the film. And yeah. to be a blockbuster hit, they weren't going to go super uh, in your face explicit about it. But I think that there are a few things worth pointing out. Um, one of which is the femness of Barbies, right? So I talked about this a little bit already when I talked about femininity, but mm-hmm. femme or F-E-M-M-E, right, as uh, an identity is a femininity that exists in its own right, that it's not a femininity in contrast or approximation of what is expected in patriarchy. And so it's typically thought of as like a queer femininity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Barbie almost is drag in some way, in the way that she performs femininity so beautifully. Um, Mm -hmm. We also, again, have, you know, the middle school double entendre of the beat you off fight, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) Alan, uh, as Ken's best friend, also kind of screams queer um and they leaned into that right he's ken's best friend all our clothes fit yeah Um, but i thought it was also notable that during the war alan sided with the barbies and not the kens yes you know i'm not sure exactly why i my hunch is that alan is not hyper masculine right and 
even in Barbie land, masculinity is seen as the counterpoint to femininity. Alan is mm-hmm. not hypermasculine. He's also just Alan. He doesn't have a role. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have any other Allens, right? There's just the one Alan. Just the one and Alan. So just like the he, one Midge. Just Alan. Uh, <laughs> and so he doesn't have particular power in Barbie land or he especially doesn't have power when it becomes kind of the exaggerated hypermasculine Ken world. I forget what they call it. Um, and so he is actually more aligned with Barbies in this structure. Hi, Barbie. Oh, hi, Alan. There are no multiples of Alan. He's just Alan. Yeah, I'm, I'm confused about that. And he he convinces um, the two real world women to not leave to save Barbie land. Um, I'm, I'm blanking yeah. on their names right now. He, he, you know, stows, stows Gloria away in the back of Sasha. Gloria and Sasha. He stows away in the back of the convertible. Um, <laughs> and then does a wild war cry, which I thought was amazing. Um, good, good on <laughs> you, Michael, Sarah. Um, but yeah, you're right. So not only does he, um, uh, ally with the Barbies in the beginning, but he also allies with them um, in the secret plan to retake Barbie land. And he's critical in that plan, but he's not out fighting. He's part of the intelligence operation. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And then the other just kind of like screaming queer reference in the movie is weird Barbie, of course. Um, I mean, even without anything about the character, just having lesbian icon Kate McKinnon play the role yep. uh, kind of cinches that. Um, but Weird Barbie, as the Barbie who you play too hard with, um, <laughs> also has a lot of external uh, signifiers of queerness, right? So she has a mullet. She wears really bright colors. She wear, is offering the Birkenstock. She has mm-hmm. short hair, right? So there are these like kind of physical manifestations of queerness. Um, she does also then make kind of a suggestive comment about Ken's nude blob. I don't know if that was like to make her less queer or maybe it's more because it's a blob. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think that that is a, a role that Weird Barbie plays, especially because she ex- she's the only, she and Alan really are the ones who exist in between femininity and masculinity in this world um, in slightly different ways. It's a great point. That they are sort of in the middle of the two ends that are being pulled in Barbie land. Yeah. And so even in Barbie land, there's still variability, which I love. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say on this is if this is something you're interested in reading more about, um, if you Google uh, like queer core Barbie syllabus, there's a great compilation of some of these um, podcasts and videos talking about queerness in many different forms as demonstrated or evoked by the Barbie film. So lots more to read about there. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm trying to, with the with the podcast episode here, talking with you is trying to capitalize on like a massive, <laughs> massive amount of discussions, uh, which is an interesting <laughs> thing for, um, for this space. Uh, and talking about, as I mentioned, uh, you know, at the start of the show, talking about a uh, a new release as opposed to uh, a psych film 
that came out 30, 40 years ago or something like that. There's, there's a, quite a <laughs> bit of, of difference in how much analysis is done. And so, yeah, we don't, um, we're trying not to uh, be derivative of all of that stuff. So I pre and if you have links to those, I will take them. I will uh, gladly share some. Yeah. Because this so, is just the teensiest, tippiest tip of the iceberg. Exactly. So we are going to take a quick break uh, and we are going to continue talking Barbie with Dr. Molly Metz. Stay tuned for the next segment. Are you a big fan of the Cinema Psych podcast? A connoisseur of the compelling stories and intriguing insights that we have on this show? Well, show your love in style with our premium podcast merchandise. Yeah, that's right. I've updated the podcast store from ultra comfy hoodies, perfect for cozy podcast binges, to sleek coffee mugs that add a dash of personality to your morning routine our merchandise store has it all i've added so many new products and it's designed to withstand countless listening marathons there are a lot of episodes i think you'll love them but wait there is more every week there is a new promotion turning up the volume on value so keep an eye out for our exciting special promotions every other week 15% off in between sometimes there's a special 25% off day and then sometimes there's free shipping it's the perfect way to score your cinema psych podcast merch for less I'm excited to have expanded the merchandise offerings, but I'm really excited to say that new designs are coming up. And you can put these designs on all of the merchandise. So keep an eye out for new arrivals in the design section. So don't just listen, wear it, flaunt it, live it. Visit our merchandise store at cinemasychpod.swanpsych.com slash store to shop your love for the Cinema Psych Podcast today. Remember, every purchase goes directly to supporting this show. And of course, thanks for listening to this show. I love doing it. Now let's get back into it. What's cooking good looking? Hi. Welcome. Welcome to my weird house. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. Sorry about the dog crap. What can I do you for? I just had to come see you about my feet. They're, um... Flat. Yeah. Never seen that before. Really? Whoa. Huh. Okay, well, can you, you know, fix them? You're stereotypical Barbie, right? Mm-hmm. That Ken of yours, he is one nice-looking little protein pot. 
I guess. I'd like to see what kind of nude blob he's packing under those jeans. <sighs> anyway, what preceded this? Oh, nothing. A really fun game of volleyball. That's it? Parts of death. What is Maybe some thoughts of death? Thoughts of death? Is that a problem? Oh. What? I've heard of this. Of course, I didn't think it was possible. But it's real. Oh, you've done it. You've opened a portal. I didn't open a portal. <laughs> Someone did. And now there is a rip in the continuum that is the membrane between Barbie land and the real world. And if you want to be stereotypical Barbie perfect again, then baby girl, you got to go fix it. You're going to keep going funny. Look at your upper thigh. <gasps> what is that? A cellulite. That's going to spread what? everywhere. And then you're going to start getting sad and mushy and complicated. No! What do I have to do? You have to go to the real world. And you have to find the girl who's playing with you. Playing with me? We're all being played with, babe. But usually there's some kind of separation. Thanks. There's the girl and the doll, and never the twain shall cross. The twain is crossing? Yes, and the girl who's playing with you, she must be sad. And her thoughts and feelings and humanness are interfering with your dullness. Why would she be sad? We fixed everything so that all women in the real world can be happy and powerful. I don't know, but if you ask me, you had something to do with this too. Me? Takes two to rip a portal. I can't have. I've only ever wanted for everything to stay exactly as it is. Well, be that as it may, the two of you are becoming inextricably intertwined. And you gotta help her to help yourself. And we are back with Dr. Molly Metz talking Barbie, the 2023 film by Greta Gerwig starring Margot Robbie and that guy, geese name, I guess, baby geese, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> baby geese. All right. So in this uh, in this part of the show, I wanted to talk about uh, Barbie and her role or at least its role um as a toy in our world in the real world right so part of we talked in the first segment a lot about gender expression and all of the ways in which it happens in barbie land but we ha we didn't really talk too much about the real world shenanigans that are uh that happen in like the middle part of the movie, like maybe the central third, I would say, is is when that probably not even a third feels like maybe like the middle quartile of the movie. In any case, um, there are a lot of things that happen in that part of the movie that is a commentary on the toy and its cultural impact in our real world. So Barbie and Ken uh, decide to figure out why Barbie is exploring um, or her or her death, her impending death, possible impending. Do, do Barbies even die? I, I don't even know. Um, and <laughs> well, to, to, to be clear. They don't decide anything together. She goes on a mission and he stows away. Oh, yes, that's true. You're you're absolutely right. I I, I misspoke there. Yes. Ken uh, <laughs> stows away in the back of the convertible, same way that Alan does that I mentioned before the break, uh, which is how do you hide in the back of a convertible? I don't know. Um, but anyways, yes, Ken does stow away and they have the great screaming moment um, in the convertible. And then they go through all of the iterations to get them to the real world. 
So they explore the real world themselves. And then, like I said, there's a lot of meta commentary regarding Barbie, regarding patriarchy, regarding uh, the ideas that have been attached to the movie. We'll use uh, begrudgingly woke uh, as that word um, and what it means for the movie and and how it was put together so i just want to i want to talk about barbie's impact so the movie starts off with barbie coming on the scene and it is marco robbie in the original black and white bathing suit from the 1950s first barbie basically and all of the girls that are in the movie are playing with these old style kind of like cabbage patch dolls, I guess. Um, less and uh, less anthropomorphized as I guess newer dolls are. And they toss them for <laughs> this new doll. And we've been talking about Barbie ever since. So thoughts on that, Molly. I love that scene so much. And I also think it's important to include in the movie for viewers who might not be aware of the actual origins of Barbie, right? Like Barbie has been part of the public discourse pretty much since she was invented. Yeah. But we tend to only be aware of what's happening in our own orbits unless you're like intentionally studying it. And so I think it's really important to know that Barbie was invented by Ruth Handler mm -hmm. specifically to show little girls that they have choices and to do something other than be a mother. Right. Yes. So before Barbie, the dolls that girls played with were baby dolls yes. and baby dolls are awesome and great and little kids, boys and girls. And everyone loves to learn how to nurture, especially if they have a little sibling, mm -hmm. right? Like, but a baby doll requires care and feeding and burping and napping. Right. And it's, it's training you to be a little parent. And Ruth Handler yeah. wanted her daughter, Barbara to know that she had so many choices besides that. And so that is where Barbie came from. And that is why Barbie has had literally almost every job, but has never been a bride. So even when Barbie had a wedding dress, it was because she was like in a fashion show or in a movie or something. So Barbie mm -hmm. has never been married. Yeah, Barbie has Barbie never, has never been married and never has had kids. Any kid associated with Barbie has either been a friend or her sister. Right, right. She's babysitting or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a really important thing to know about the origin of Barbie, especially for, again, the target demographic who was, you know, kind of coming of age at the time when the primary discourse around Barbie was all about body image. Mm -hmm. And so that's not to say there's not a lot of stuff to say there, but Barbie was actually really kind of progressive and transgressive at the time. Yeah, I think um, part of it was it was uh, a definite shock to the doll market for sure if you just want to talk economics uh, the the baby doll makers were like oh ah there's another doll 
on the market and it seems to be something that girls want to play with, uh, what do we do? And then as you <laughs> so that was the progressive part of it for sure. Um, and then, yeah, um, body image, definitely a, a, a big thing. And I think Mattel tried to do things. They're doing a lot more things more recently, I would say. But in the 60s, 70s and 80s, they really didn't do much to address the body image debate. Um, you had characters like Midge who were the ones who were getting pregnant. So Barbie's not pregnant. Midge is. Um, and mm -hmm. kids didn't want to play with Midge. Girls or boys didn't want to play with um character that wasn't Barbie. And even though you had characters like Kelly and I don't know um who else, uh what who the <laughs> other girl characters are, I'm sorry. Um <laughs> Skipper. <laughs> Skipper, there we go. Even though you had these characters who would probably appeal to maybe younger girls or like not ha just having a bunch of different Barbies around. Uh, they still didn't do as well as just plain old Barbie. So, anyways, I just to just to end my thought here, uh, they Mattel really didn't um, do that much with the the impact because they were like, "Well, oh, everyone wants to play with Barbie, so why do we care what the naysayers are are saying?" Well, and so just to to kind of put it in context again, right? So you mentioned that fairly recently um, in line with, I would say, third wave feminism and more intersectional feminism, like yeah. Barbie mm -hmm. has been diversifying. Mm -hmm. No, it's not perfect, but there is incredible uh, ethnic and racial diversity in yeah. Barbies. There has been diversification of body types and changing yes. the proportions. Yes. Um, and like you noted, we saw that a little bit with like Skipper and Kelly, right? Because Skipper was her younger sister and Kelly was her baby sister. And so they had yeah. different proportions. Right. Um, and so it's not that everyone was a Barbie, but I I remember being a kid, maybe like middle school, junior high, right? So like when like I was a little bit old for Barbies, but still quite young and like it was no longer cool to like Barbie. And again, you had to distance yourself from Barbie. Mm -hmm. to be taken seriously. And I remember seeing and reading all kinds of stuff about, you know, if Barbie was a real human and had these proportions, she would break in half, she would fall over, <laughs> yeah. she could never yeah. support her I do head remember or her those. boobs or whatever. Yeah. And so and like that's that's fair. Um and so that's the critique I was talking about and that I think really kind of hit a peak in the mm -hmm. 90s. Yeah. of Barbie's body and body proportions right. and what that was doing to girls and their own body images mm -hmm. and um, what type of body Barbie was normalizing. And so I, I do think that's valid. Yeah. However, I listened to a really cool podcast fairly recently. Um, I want to say it was American Hysteria, where BJ Colangelo talked about Barbie, both the film and kind of the history of the doll. And she made a point that makes a lot of sense and I never thought about before, which is Barbie is a fashion doll, right? From the beginning, that's been one of the points of Barbie was mm -hmm. to dress her up All right. in different outfits and uniforms, depending on her job or her role. Mm -hmm. And she's also quite small. And 
fabric, when you cut it down really small to make like doll clothes, it's still as thick as it is for a bigger uh, garment. Mm -hmm. And so part of the reason for the proportions that Barbie has a kind of unnaturally long neck and unnaturally thin waist Mm -hmm. is specifically because once you put clothes on her, it bunches up around the neck and around the waist. And so (laughs) if she were bigger, the bulkier clothes would be even bigger. And so the proportions of the doll were intentional to make the clothes look right. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not a commentary on body proportions for nude Barbie. (laughs) It's body proportions for a clothed Barbie. Yeah. Now that is not to say she's not still ridiculously thin and curvy and tall and uh-huh. has those stupid feet. That was another one of my favorite lines from Margot Robbie, which is if I had feet like that, I'd never wear high heels. Uh-huh. But like, and that's not to negate the impact of having a doll that looks like this on perhaps how girls learn to think about their bodies and learn to think about themselves. Uh-huh. But I do think it's interesting. I never thought about the reason for that decision in the first place. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I keep, um, I keep harping on this line um, when I when when my students are like, why is this the way that it is? And I'm like, listen, y'all, something uh, everything comes from something. Right. We, we just don't think about things in the absence or the vacuum of nothing. We make decisions right. and we, we figure things out from stuff that has come before and so, yeah, as you're saying, the impact is definitely different than the intent, of course. Uh, and but the, as you say as well, the intent was purely economical and um, practical, but the impact has been something different um, because right. people don't know that's. Uh, the it was about the fabric and and that kind of stuff and 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 we're just learning about many of these decisions like as a society we didn't share this kind of stuff outwardly because that would like change the way that things were perceived and we are a very market driven society and so when you 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 change the way people think about something and it's like well that can ruin potentially ruin my product so i don't want to do that i want to keep the well, mystique you just didn't have access to and then yeah a the constant lack. stream of critique like right. tiktok and lack of things. lack of internet so, is really podcasts. the big problem yeah. <laughs> yeah so all that to say it doesn't negate it but similar to how i think learning about the origin of barbie is really interesting and changes the conversation i think considering the origin of some of the features of barbie that we do or don't like is just adds richness to the discussion yeah and then there is a great just perfect meta joke in the movie where uh margot robbie is lamenting um about herself (laughs) and um the way she looks and the way she is and it the movie just pauses and Helen Mirren jumps in as the narrator and says, maybe Margot Robbie isn't the best person to be making this uh, argument. Yeah. Also a delightful interjection. Yes. I mean, that's how that's how uh, a movie like this has to play, because Barbie Land itself is just so absurd. Like, how could you live in a fully plastic environment? Like, how do they eat? Why do why do they sleep? <laughs> 
where do they go to like do they need to go to the bathroom if every day is a wonderful day and and uh then then what are then then how do they know anything about bad days it's just a lot of weird questions so super absurd and so that kind of uh of joke just has to play because you can't just leave that there because we all know we all know who Margot Robbie is. Like we're watching this movie, just like everyone else is. So we, you can't just leave that one there. So it was very enjoyable, and I loved it when I when when we saw it. I I was probably the loudest laugher in the movie theater. <laughs> did you see it with Astrid? I did, and I yeah I I, I, I laughed at you. <laughs> I I la- no I seriously was I laughed probably the loudest. But I will tell you. A story speaking of the patriarchy. So and I and I told this story. I told this story on Facebook, but we we get to the movie theater and I went with my wife, Astrid, and um, my daughter, Ellie, who is six. And she was really excited to see the movie. And this this pair of middle-aged uh, women come in. Yeah, something like that. Maybe 50s, 60s. I don't know. Somewhere, somewhere, somewhere around there. And they they see me. And at this point, I was the only man in the theater. Um, it was, a, you know, a matinee show on the weekend or whatever. So it's not like it was going to be a few weeks after the movie came out, too. So it's not like it was going to be super crowded. And they mm-hmm. saw me. And they immediately go, oh, okay, your daughter's here. That's why you're that's why you're watching this movie. And I was like, mm-hmm. um, no, I'm watching mm-hmm. this movie because I like movies. And I and so I shot back at them. I was like, <laughs> specifically the woman that that said it. Um, and I said, no, I would have been here by myself. And I don't I don't know if she heard me, but she kind of just like bristled and then turned around. Uh, and I was just like, it, 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 don't put that on me. That's you. It's, I, I, that's your shit. Yeah, that's that's your problem. I love movies. I'll go watch anything unless it's horror and then probably not. So I, I just thought it was it, it was a, a very interesting that there was already this idea around the movie, even though it had only been out for about three weeks and no men would like to see this movie because as you said before oh it's just men hating it's just man hating right well and not just that but also boy pop culture is general pop culture whereas girl pop culture is for girls yes very true yeah well i'm glad you saw it and loved it (laughs) i don't think there was any um I don't think there was any doubt in my mind that I was going to enjoy it, even even just from previews. And I I know that that like the specifically the the movie YouTubers that I watch, all of the dudes that were uh, that that I watch and um, are uh, movie nerds, just like I am, were all excited for this movie and all equally loved it. All different kinds of men. So I had no um, I had no delusions that I was I wasn't going to like I was going to like this movie. No delusions. (laughs) So it was just odd to have that that uh, back and forth, which brings me back to the patriarchy, which is specifically (laughs) mentioned um, several times in this movie. Like we have to always be extraordinary. But somehow we're always doing it wrong. 
Like you have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane, but if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood, but always stand out and always be grateful. But never forget that the system is rigged, so find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard, it's too contradictory, and nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. Molly, for our listeners who might not know what the patriarchy is, could you give a brief definition oh buddy i can try so the patriarchy that refers to a social system a social Mm -hmm. structure where men hold the power it's often like thought about in a context of where like men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it um but importantly it's not just men it's specific men and certain types of men and so it's not all men who hold the power And I think that that's important because in a patriarchal social system where, you know, these positions of dominance and privilege are held by a few men, everyone else is restricted. Yeah. And that includes most men as well. Yeah. (laughs) And so when the rules on what type of man you need to be to be a top dog um, are so strict, that's extremely limiting and restrictive on both on men and women um, within this structure, and not to mention any other uh, minoritized or marginalized genders. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to go back to what I said at the beginning, you know, not all masculinity is toxic. And, you know, I didn't see this movie as man-hating for one second, because Ken was sympathetic, right? Like, Ken was also suffering. (laughs) Ken was also struggling. Ken also mm-hmm. wanted connection and love and support and wasn't Absolutely. able to get it right. under the system. And so no one wins. Yeah. I, and I think that's a, an, an important commentary, whether you be, whether you agree with it or not. It's an important commentary about patriarchy, which is a, a system, as you said, really built for Power and dominance and power and dominance don't have time to anthropomorphize it just a little bit. Don't (laughs) have time for nurturing and um, uh, validation and all the other things that are typically associated or, or stereotypically associated with femininity and womanhood. Because that doesn't necessarily bring power or dominance. And so, as you say, in patriarchy, everyone loses. Women lose, men lose, um, everyone loses. Because power and dominance are not necessarily human 
things that we need. You know, if you were to ask someone like what the opposite of patriarchy would be, I think the kind of like grammatical assumption would be matriarchy, Mm -hmm. where like women hold positions of privilege and power and dominance. um, Yeah. Of of specific kind and everyone else is subjugated. Yeah. Um, But I... I don't love that word. Um, I don't think it really applies here because, you know, so Barbie land is reversed in which the dominant leading social group is the Barbies um, and they hold all the power. Now, to be clear, in Barbie land, at least, you know, up until the event of the movie, like everyone seems to mostly be existing in peace and happiness. There isn't discrimination there isn't oppression that's just one group is the one who is in power and the other is not but i think i'm more comfortable calling that kind of like a reverse patriarchy like yeah it still centers like power and dominance as the most important thing and it sets up someone to be the winner and someone to be the loser Mm -hmm. I think this is, you know, at the very beginning when I said, you know, some people are disappointed that Barbie could have totally reimagined what a social structure could look like. And this is where, right, like I think a truly feminist vision wouldn't have the women in charge subjugating the men. It would break down power structures altogether. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, having, you know, uh, an egalitarian kind of feel to it where everyone gets what they need and and um shares governance shares power and and everyone is just holding hands in a kumbaya moment um they could have done that (laughs) they could have done that barbie land is fictitious they could have done that but no they that you're right they do go back to what it was before a hierarchy it can still over. Hierarchy. Yeah, still there's still a hierarchy and and um so yeah, that brings me to my question of the the sort of outward vitriol of the movie and and wokeness. Oh god, I hate saying that word. Um <laughs> can you can you tell me why you hate saying that word? wokeness you want me to tell you why you hate saying that word (laughs) (laughs) i I don't like saying it because woke is stupid um and i i not the not what it's uh, purporting to describe but it's it's just a it's a it's a dumb word and then somebody added ness to it probably ron desantis or somebody um somebody dumb so just to can i just go for interject So woke is African-American vernacular English, right? It is slang directly from Black American community that got appropriated. And I think the intention was originally good. Like woke means eyes open to things like insidious power structures. Um, But that's not how it's being used now. But that's not how it's being used. And it's been kind of characterized to remove its power. Yeah. So I agree that like, I'm kind of saying it like in quotation marks, Mm -hmm. because that's kind of the the talking Mm -hmm. line now, right? Like it's too woke. Everyone's woke. The Mm -hmm. wokeification, whatever. But the word itself, I think, comes from a good place. It's just become 
a cartoon of itself yes in the public discourse and and i think when people use it that way now that's what they're using the caricature of the word yeah um and that's that's what i think is is um not great about it no that's yeah. why i don't like saying it um because of the connotation that it brings but mm -hmm. Regardless of the word, there is the intent behind the word, right? And so the movie, to sort of wrap up our discussion here, the movie is uh, saying a lot of things, right? As we said, it's a rich, <laughs> as, as you said, it's a rich text. Um, it's chock full every minute of the one hour, 54 minute runtime has something to say about something, even if it's a joke. Um. And so where does it fit for you, Molly, on the inclusionary scale, we'll call it. I just made up that <laughs> word, the inclusionary scale. Does it does it work for you? Does it go um, does it go far enough? Um, does it go too far? I don't know if that's even a question, but does it go too far? <laughs> Some people might say, I suppose. So what do you think? On the inclusionary scale. I think that it touches, it dips its toes in some really important stuff. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of things I've already mentioned, but just to recap, right? Like when you look at the Barbies, there is a fair amount of racial and body diversity. Um, you can't have a ton because it's a small group of Barbies to focus on, but we have multiple black Barbies. Mm -hmm. There's a trans actress who plays a Barbie. Mm -hmm, yeah. But Barbies don't have genitals. So um, the Barbie presumably isn't trans. Uh, what, um, what, what was the, what was the actor's name? Hari Neff. Oh, okay. She was yes. the beautiful uh -huh. redheaded Barbie. Yep. Yep, yep, um, yep. Right. That doesn't mean the Barbie was trans because Barbies don't have genitals. Yes. But um, there was a Barbie in a wheelchair. There was mm -hmm. uh, two um, small slash medium fat Barbies. Right. So there's a little bit of variability. I will say there was no body or ability to diverse Kens, though. Got a little bit of racial diversity there, but no body or ability diverse Kens. Yeah, they were all like they were all like big ripped or not, maybe not big, but like they were they were all muscly. They're buff. Buff, they were, there we I go. I mean, their job is beach, so. <laughs> was all their job beach? I think so. Because that's that's just what Ken does. Ken's job is beach. What is what is Alan's job? I'm sorry, I'm getting, that's, that's, okay, keep, keep to going. To be Ken's best friend. Oh, yes, that's right. Who shares all his clothes. <laughs> um, I think that there, as I mentioned before, there were hints of queerness there. Yeah. But it certainly didn't sing queerness with its full voice and a lot of it was kind of hinted or coded like if you know mm -hmm. you know um and it could wink, have wink. done a lot more there they basically just flipped the patriarchy back and forth between who had power as opposed to totally reimagining a different type of social structure um, it's still capitalist. It's still consumerist. Um, mm -hmm. And they characterize that a little bit with the CEO and the board. Uh, one of my favorite lines in the from Will Ferrell in the boardroom was like, and when you think about Sparkle, what do you think of next? Female agency, which I just loved. Um, but so like they're still <laughs> obviously selling a product. And like, of course it was. Mattel had yes. a 
a lot to do with the production of this film. They have to for intellectual property like this. And then they got the memo totally wrong. Like after the news came out that it broke a billion dollars, there was some quote from a memo uh, from a Mattel um, higher up saying something like we have 27 more movies of different toys coming out. It's like, or maybe it's not about the toy. (laughs) and Maybe it's about having a movie for and by women, but whatever, you know, one of, My favorite lines, another favorite line was, you know, after Gloria's um, big, beautiful speech about the complexity of being a woman Mm -hmm. and the it's not even a double bind. It's like a quadruple quintuple bind that (laughs) there are so many contradictory messages that we're expected to embody all at once. And giving that speech is what starts to wake up the Barbies from their kind of brainwashing. Mm-hmm. Um, brainwashing by Ken. Someone says to her by giving, by Ken's, um, by giving voice to the cognitive dissonance required to be a, a woman under patriarchy, you robbed it of its power. And first of all, I would love to think that just knowledge is enough to make change, but I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I loved Sasha, the daughter, her her line in response was, hell yeah, white savior Barbie. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. Barbie... It's very white feminism. All of that to say, it it touches on some great things. It did not go very far. <laughs> it like it's still what it is, but I'm not mad about it, right? I would love to see an indie version of Barbie where <laughs> they aren't beholden to Mattel and someone can be really creative and subversive and transgressive with the whole plot and how the Barbies re- and Ken's relate to one another or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's some really cool, juicy stuff. Um, and that's what the internet is for. We'll call her I think Birdie and we'll call him... Um, Kane. Sure, that works. But I... That movie would not have surpassed a billion dollars that movie would not have gotten so many eyes on it that movie would not have made it into the popular culture in the way that this movie did and yeah all these things could have been better they could are still problematic in some ways but you know what Mm -hmm. this was a billion dollar movie that set the word patriarch that's amazing yeah Yeah. (laughs) that is absolutely incredible and so you know if i could totally rewrite history yeah it would have been great to have a different movie but Mm -hmm. given this world and this timeline we're on like i think you need people to hear the message and i don't think people would have heard a message from a different vehicle i think this was a perfect vehicle for that message for this time and so i'm really really happy with it yeah, and of course, well performed by everyone involved, but specifically Margot Robbie so and uh, Ryan Gosling, I think, and so and good. the way that they were able to carry that charisma from their characters into like all of the press junkets mm-hmm. that they did, and um, just really making you feel like they know what these characters are doing they know what these characters are trying to say they know what the movie's trying to say they get it there yeah, was they get such it. a good interview with ryan gosling where he said something like i don't want to can explain this yeah and i just <laughs> it just mwah, perfect yeah and in in a lot of cases would defer to um margo when when they were talking about various things like 
so Ryan, what yeah. do you think about this thing? And he would go, you know, you should ask Margot that question because that would be a perfect one for her. Uh, <laughs> I'm just Ken kind of, kind of, kind of uh, <laughs> reaction. So I, it's they a did, a, I think they did uh, the job that they could, as you say, within the, um, something comes from uh, things, everything comes from something uh, kind of a way of looking at it, right? They had Mattel looking over their yeah. shoulders. They had the movie studios looking over their shoulders. They couldn't go so far or as far maybe as they wanted to because of capitalism, uh, I'll say, <laughs> right? And, of course, maybe the patriarchy itself. Uh, we'll never we'll 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 never know, but we kind of do know. We kind of know. Yeah, we kind of know. Well, I want to thank Dr. Molly Metz for joining me today to discuss Barbie. Molly, what are some things that are going on in your world? I know you're on sabbatical, but is there anything other than the the list of uh, um podcast that you're going to give me anything else that you'd like to plug is going on <laughs> in your world your world well i don't have any like major projects that need attention or anything right now um i will always 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 plug the society for teaching psychology um i imagine yeah. most people who come to this podcast probably know about stp but SDP is APA Division Two. It is my most dearly held professional identity and organization um, that mm. has been incredibly mm. important for my growth and professional development as a teacher. Um, they do a lot of really great work and fund awesome projects like this. And so I just, um, if you're not a member of SCP, it's only like 20 bucks. And for students, it's even less. And so um, it's a really, really, really great organization to be a part of and to support. Um, the other thing I'll say is, so you noted it's November of 2023 right now. Mm -hmm. uh, this will be out before my sabbatical is done. Right. And in addition to trying to wrap up <laughs> some uh, projects and some things that I've wanted to write over the last you know eight years and never finished because I had a full teaching load, I also have been really uh, enjoying doing some extra traveling, um, visiting mm -hmm. colleagues and friends, um, connecting with people and giving talks on campuses. And so um, I have talked to students about grad school. I've talked to grad mm -hmm. students about teaching. Mm -hmm. I've talked to faculties about inclusive teaching. And I only have one trip on the books for the winter. So if anyone would like to invite me for uh, a virtual or real life talk, I would love to talk about that. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, this is going to be out uh, well before your sabbatical ends. So plenty of time, <laughs> plenty of time for planning, of course. So where of should course. folks reach out to you then for that? Well, technically, I still have an account on Twitter. I refuse to call it its other name. <laughs> Fair. Um, Same. <laughs> but I'm not there very often anymore. So the best place to find me is my email. Um, you can find that from my webpage, which is mollyametz.com. Okay. And we will, I will link that in the show notes so people can just click on that and go find your email address so they can 
reach out to you directly. I I um I'm hoping for Note big to things. Self, I should also update my webpage. <laughs> I mean, I have to as well. So you're you're not you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for joining me to chat, Barbie Molly. It was fun having you back on the show again. Thank you, Alex. This is fun uh, being a approximately annual thing. So you've got 10 to 12 <laughs> yeah, months to think about what our next chat will be about. Yeah, that's very true. Um, uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you to um, keep those ideas rustling around in, in, in that head. And that's going to do it for this episode. Until the next one, thanks for listening.